What is up, everybody? Welcome to the MTG Sharks podcast. My name is Bob Perfect, and I'm one of your hosts. As always, joining me on the line is Karan Chetty. Hey, Bob. How's it going, man? Uh, pretty good. It's been a bit of a roller coaster of a year. We haven't done this in quite a while. I have not, like, I wouldn't even call myself a magic player at this point. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty keen to be back on the line and uh, chatting to you about MTG because I've got a tournament coming up in a few weeks that I actually want to do pretty well in. So you brought in some, uh, some killers uh, for us this week. Well, I, I certainly don't know about killers, but, you know, closer, closer to... <laughs> Closely, more closely resemble clowns as far as I'm concerned, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're calling them jokers. <laughs> well, yeah, so so we, we've got uh, three guests on today. Um, I thought it was appropriate since there was this big um, team team tournament that happened at the Nexus this weekend. And um, yeah, I thought we'd invite the winners along. So um, yeah, we've got uh, two returning guests in Savesh and uh, Savesh Balkaran and um, Darren Fox, and making his debut on the show, uh, Mr. David Booth. Welcome, Hello. guys. Hey, guys. Thank you up? very much. Hi. Great to be back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, we, 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 it was quite interesting. Obviously, we, I, I missed out uh, not being in South Africa at the moment, and um, obviously, Bob, Bob being in Durban, so you, we, I we missed out be, on everything. Yeah, he misses out on everything, pretty <laughs> much. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, well, apparently, apart from coronavirus, because didn't it start in Durban? Is, isn't that? Uh, well, it started in KZN. I don't know if it started in Durban. You know, don't don't put that on me. <laughs> Listen, man. I mean, I don't know how they would have flown into KZN if not through Durban. So, Bob, I mean, definitely. No, that's very. That is very like the airport is very far away from Durban, Durban. So, like. What we consider Durban and what people from outside of Durban consider Durban are very different things. Anything like past the the Damgani River, like north, that is not Durban anymore. That is Durban North, and we we don't consider that the same place. I don't think anyone knows what you're talking about, Bob. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm like, so I, I, am I on the right podcast? Is this a geographical? <laughs> this is the geography. Uh, yeah, this is investigation. I, this is 031 Geography podcast. Um, <laughs> where were we? Yeah, <laughs> we're talking about card game called Magic the Gathering. That that's it. That's it. I believe. Yeah. So so we missed out on this tournament, and um, uh, it's but the sounds of it, it was pretty cool. Um, uh, Dave, maybe you can give us just a bit of background of what happened and some details of the event. Um. Yeah. Uh. I I'm not playing a lot of Paper Magic in in recent times, and. Uh, Darren and uh, Savesh were kind enough to ask me to join them. Uh, I think they were doubting their choice at, uh, a little while ago. And uh, I think they just picked which formats they wanted to play. It was a mixed format between modern, pioneer, and standard, I think, which is quite a cool mix. Uh, I, I do like this sort of mixed format rather than... Uh, Rather than sort of all playing modern, I think it it's becomes excludes a lot of players. I think you know, you know trying to have trying to find that many players with very competitive modern decks. So like splitting up the format allows I think more competitive teams. Anyway, so yeah, uh, I played the pioneer format. Um, I heard about this uh, inverter truth, <laughs> yeah, blue black inverter deck. Uh, watched uh, a couple of actual pros play the deck online uh watched a couple of vods and uh turned up and, and played it it's, it's really just a blue black control deck that has a combo finish and yeah I, I felt very comfortable playing it's uh i think i lost i lost one match the whole day um and yeah it was very strong i mean we performed pretty well when we dovetailed uh, between the team really well. So when one person lost a game here, which wasn't many, to be honest, but most of us won most of our games, you know, then obviously the others were picking up those matches. Uh, like, I think none of us really got steamrolled too badly in any of our matches. I think most when we lost were, were close. Um, and yeah, and then to be honest, the semifinals and finals, we, we won comfortably okay. uh, both matches, yeah. Oh, nice. that's, that, that sounds that sounds great. Maybe we can, we can go into a bit more detail maybe around the uh, la later stages um, at some point. Um, uh, sorry, Bob, you, you, you were going to interject? I was just going to ask, uh, did you face a lot of inverter decks? Had quite a few people jump to the deck now? I hear there were four or so people in total on the deck, but we I didn't play any mirrors, thankfully. 
Um, but I played a lot of a lot of grindy games. I played like a a blue white deck, which is obviously you know could be quite grindy. Um, yeah. But uh, actually, to be honest, the the best card in the deck when I found a lot of the time was uh, was Narset. It's I think it's a, such a strong card in in the in the sort of older formats. Obviously, Pioneer not being an old format, but uh, there's it just it shuts down so much stuff from from opposition. Uh, it's an incredible card. It's a very underrated yeah, card. I think. Well. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, I don't think you even need to go that far back. I think even in standard, you know, there are just certain decks that just yeah. absolutely yeah, fall yeah. over to Narset. It's I mean, yeah, oh. I've been I've been messing around with that uh, blue green Kai meme deck, and and then someone casts Narset, I'm just like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's a that's a problem because you know like everything in the, the deck is built around drawing cards and 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 just sort of burying your opponent and and you just can't beat it because you don't have direct damage or removal for it. So, yeah, Narset the, the static ability is a real mm. problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I said not a lot of mirrors, but what I, was really enjoyable, I, I'm not sure what the other guys felt, but I think it was the same, was uh, a very diverse field. Um, I don't, didn't play the same deck twice. Um, and besides maybe, you know, my first round opponent maybe wasn't like a meta meta deck, um, but all were kind of pretty strong decks as well, very competitive uh, decks as well. It's a very diverse field, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Well, were the people who seemed like they'd been playing the decks for quite a while, or like do you think people have built the decks for the weekend? Uh, most people seem pretty pretty comfortable with their decks. So I'll say it's decks that they like. Pioneers, obviously, it's quite a quite a close link to to standard. So I think some of the people I played are decks that they similarly would have been playing in standard. You know, um, there's some players who like those sort of mid range grindy decks. They're playing mid-range grindy decks or blue-white control deck in standard, and they're playing blue-white control in Pioneer. So I think people are very familiar with, you know, they're very similar cards across Pioneer and standard, of course. Um, sure. So yeah, it's. Uh, I think people are playing what they were comfortable with at least. Cool, Darren. What were you? What what seats were you in, Darren? So I was playing uh, standard. Uh, it's my preferred format, generally speaking. Um, I was on a version of Aaron Gertler's uh, Timo Adventures. Um, so I'm sure everyone by now who kind of follows Standard <laughs> is aware of that deck. It kind of came late to the party. I was also one of those people who picked up on the deck quite late, but uh, extremely powerful. Well, it was um, around early on, but Oiko kind of uh, diminished it when it first came out, I think. Because I, I know it was like a bit of a deck, but... It just it just seemed to like everyone just kind of saw it as a tier two deck at that time, and now with all the bannings, I think it put it into that category of just. What do you think? Is it the best deck at the moment? I think it's it's a nice metagame deck in in the sense that it's it's got some very very polarizing matchups. Uh, generally, it's just a very good deck. It's uh, it's just got big creatures and good removal, so it kind of functions in different ways. So I like those kind of decks where you can adapt on the fly depending on how your draw lines up and what your opponent is doing you know sometimes you're playing a tempo game sometimes you're playing an aggro game and sometimes you're playing a long control game so it kind of it kind of uh, can chop and change like that which i enjoy as for the best deck in standard i don't think we really have a de facto best deck which i think is a good thing um i think it will chop and change week by week depending on how people line up their decks um i think a few key cards and a few design constraints that you put on your decks can actually flip matchups for you in a, in a big way in this current meta which is which is quite healthy for the format so yeah but i i enjoyed playing the deck um i i played it because i expected a lot of mono red and a lot of blue out control um and i think i played for the most part uh, decks in those veins although not all of them were those decks that were kind of either aggro matchups or matchups that were like trying to go over the top which uh, clover is very it's very difficult to go over the top of clover because of the rate at which it it just expands in terms of how it functions so, so we're playing we're playing against like uh, black red kind of um, embercleave decks or more gruel decks or was it like you know uro based nissa type stuff so the the one the one matchup i did dodge was um the croquis um 
what's it bent i think yeah colors would be called bent so his bent ramp dad which is actually just the blue out control deck which they've just jammed nisses and a few yeah. ramp spells yeah. Yeah. Into, essentially yeah they've taken the bad components out of that deck uh, in terms of mono red and uh, the mono red matchup and, and this matchup and trying to make it more favorable it's still considered a very close matchup if not a little bit favored but uh, it's still a very very technical and difficult game to play and the problem with that matchup is that you essentially they designed to beat your de facto game plan, like what you're trying to do. So you you, you flood, try flood the board so that you have something to pressure Nissa, and you kind of just play into their wraths. So the decks that are playing yeah. like three, four main deck wraths, I think that's the way to go if you're trying to beat this deck. And then they after their wrath, they just resolve Nissa, and after they resolve Nissa, they try resolve Crisis, and it's very d difficult to disrupt that game plan from them. Often the, the game goes long and then you're trying to deal with these big crisis, uh, Kresa, I don't know how you would say it, but, and it's it's <laughs> very difficult. You know, you're trying to balance them, but then they're just replaying them. Then you're trying to deck them, but you're not quite there. So it can be extremely difficult once they get to, once you get to that game state. But um, I think overall there, your average, average draw should beat their average, average draw um, if you're on the play. But uh, I think they're, their very good draws are un almost unbeatable, um, where they go ramp spell into Wrath, into Nissa, into Crisis. I think you just lose those games. And then the other are bad you... matchup, which I had in the semis, was the Black Red Sacrifice, which I think is just a bad matchup. Okay. So if, if you expect a lot of Clover, I'd, I'd recommend that deck. Yeah, I've been seeing that pop up quite a bit. I played a bit uh, yesterday on Arena, and I ran into quite a few of those decks. So yeah, I see that being the solution. People are clinging to to deal with because the adventure decks also all over the ladder at the moment i haven't seen much blue white control um it seems to have died down at least online but are yeah. you yeah um what was i going to say here i can't even remember so sorry carry on with what you were saying yeah so the, the semi-finals uh, I, I placed uh i faced the red black and i lost game one but thankfully my teammates then carried me in that one so i didn't have to go to game two or three they won in pretty short fashion because um, I I usually expect I expected to probably lose that match, and then uh, yeah also a diverse field I played against blue green fresh which uh, I think is a favoured game matchup, I played against blue white I played against the the blue white um, uh, flat the the deck that bounces permanents with uh, the blue enchantment god I forget the name and then yeah the that just gets all that value yeah that's the faster deck and yeah and then i played against two blue green trashes actually and both both were pretty 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 i wouldn't say easy but uh we, we weren't particularly difficult matchups yeah so it was a good day I overall wonder, yeah i wonder if they were expecting blue eye control like yeah i think in flash yeah yeah I, again it's a, it can be a, it's a challenging matchup but uh i drew a lot of clovers <laughs> also <I> had <laughs> some good draws <laughs> it, it was it was one of those days yeah it ran a bit hot it's it's funny your observations. Uh, um, so so I I played played the deck quite a bit um, last month. Uh, the 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 Clover deck I picked it up fairly soon after I, I saw a tweet with this guy's uh, absurd record, and I was like, this is oh, just. Oh, it was like seventy percent or something. No, his his win rate was it wasn't seventy percent. It was it was like high 80s or, or, or more it was it was just it was the most absurd thing over a very large sample size that i've probably ever seen um mm. and, and so i picked it up and played and i'm just looking now back at some of the the numbers and you mentioned like mono red was my worst matchup like i found mono red to be the most difficult matchup for the deck based on again again small sample size i mean um so i had a 45 percent win rate against mono red um, and and, and yeah. for example, that band deck that you're talking about, I had a 70% win rate against them. Um, mm. I, I found like everything to be favorable, like every matchup I felt was favorable, um, with the exception of um, mono red. And uh, I felt that um, Timur, uh, reclamation was difficult. I felt that those are the two two difficult matchups. But I felt like it didn't matter what my opponents were playing. I just felt uh, favored, um, which is uh, quite quite bizarre. Um, you know, that's how strong the deck I, I thought was. And, and obviously things have changed and maybe people have adapted a little bit. Um, but yeah, like those, those Sulta, uh, sorry, those uh, Bant nonsense mid-range decks I, I thought were pretty easy. Um, and I thought that the aggressive, the other non-mono-red aggressive decks, I think the mono-red thing, what makes it difficult is the uh, you, your win rate is, in, there's a correlation between the amount of times your opponent gets Annex 
uh, Annex and um, Embercleave going because that's just, you know, I felt impossible to beat. And more often than not, when I lost, if I go back and, you know, if I could check the matches, I, I'm pretty sure it's turn three, Annex, turn four, Embercleave uh, type of thing. And, and that sort of um, ended my hopes, I guess. Don't you have the borrower for that, though? Yeah, but you, you're under pressure, right? Like, because yep. you do nothing on turn one. You essentially do nothing on turn one. At On turn two, ideally, and you play, correct. And you want to play at Clover on turn two. Like, you don't want to do anything else in your turn two. Um, and, and so you're in this tricky spot, right? And, and you don't know if your opponent's playing mono red. Obviously, if you know, if it's open deck lists, then you can set up your hands and, you know, maybe mulligan aggressively. But when you don't know, yeah. you, you've got four, four borrowers in your deck. You know, you often you're not going to have it. Um, so that's that, that's it's really tr it's it's really tricky. Um, I, I don't know how you felt the deck, Darren. I I I, I, the, the, I I honestly thought it was one of the most difficult standard decks I've played in. I, I can't remember a, a very very long time, and I felt like still after I don't know after I got in 70, 70 100 matches, I still felt like a complete idiot. Like I had no idea what I was doing most of the time. Like there were so many different lines you could take, especially with the wish targets. Um, or, or just the game plan in general, like setting up whether you're trying to go from control to now um, be aggressive and end the match and you know when to shift gears. I, I found that exceptionally difficult, and um, I feel like it's the kind of deck that if you are a master at it, like you know a handful of people in the world, it's it might be the best deck in standard. But if you play it suboptimally, like most of us do, then your win rates aren't going to be that great. So. Yeah, I don't know how you felt about the difficult the difficulty of uh, playing the deck. Yeah, so I mean, I would initially when I picked up the deck, I think after probably about 20, 20 odd matches, um, I played a, a reasonable amount of blue art and some favorable matchups where it, kind of the deck seemed to just play itself, and you just needed to wish for answers on the fly as, as they came up. Um, but as I started playing a more diverse meta, I realized how diverse. I must admit, like I. I before this tournament, I had about 130 odd matches with the deck before I really, really felt comfortable with it. The problem is, is that, like I said, it's the deck is so adaptable depending on your draw and depending on what you're playing. Mm. That I think the the most difficult thing with the deck is rec recognizing your role in in the matchup and mm. where you're going. I often had like people watching me because I, I took it to a few FNMs and stuff like that as well, and people would say why didn't you just do this and, and try go for the win next turn? Or why didn't you just do that? And a lot of the times you just, if you know the matchup, you know that you, you can afford to play around things and just make sure you don't lose. And you just like close off avenues for your opponent to kind of win over two, three turns. So you do kind of have to, and I think that just comes with the experience of playing the deck. Cause when you play against Bant 20, 30 times, you recognize game states that, oh, this is the type of game that's going to go long and this is what's important. And, you know, I need to fave wishes for this now rather than later because if I do it later, I may not have the mana to do something. So it, it is kind of the, the, the kind of deck where you have to think ahead. But but that's my kind of forte with standard decks is those like long kind of grindy, grindy decks where um, you kind of just recognize where the game's going to go in two, three, four turns and you can plan strategically for it as opposed to, you know, I'm just going to draw off the top of my deck kind of thing. Um, where the deck um, can be sort of problematic, I think I think a lot of the the blue-green matchups like you were talking about, about the deck being favored, so like blue-green and Bant, and a lot of those matchups are very favored. But particularly the the lists where people were adapting from Crokies, where you had main deck um, Knight of Autumns, and then they would bounce it. So those decks, yeah. I, I still think it was favored. So I, I still think it was probably like 50, 50 odd percent, maybe up to 55 percent favored. But it was still close, and it was there were still like extremely long, complicated games mm. where your decisions three turns ago will dictate the game. So if you don't have experience in the matchup, you'll probably lose a lot more of them, which is what I was doing in the beginning. Um, and then yeah, so mono red is also favored. So I think I played mono red on the letter about 40 odd times. I think my win rate against them was more than 60 percent. I can't remember the exact number. Um, what I did make use of, which I actually found out from Aaron Gertler, was was untapped.gg. If you haven't used or .net or something like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't used that, I'd recommend it. If you play on Arena a lot, it kind of has your deck list, what you've drawn out of your deck, 
what are your percentages to draw certain cards and uh, and it, it tracks your your wins and your losses i only started using it at about halfway through my my playing with the deck but i found it extremely useful um because it just you feel like you favored or not favored but when you actually keep track of things you, you realize that uh, i'm actually beating this deck 59 percent of the time which is reasonable if not very good although you lose a few key matchups then you like kind of feel a bit despondent so it kind of put things put things in perspective mono red is a tough matchup if you're playing the deck and you're struggling with it what i would recommend doing is watching aaron's videos a lot of people sideboard incorrectly with a deck i was watching uh todd's uh todd anderson i think it was streaming on last night with a deck in one of the modern challenges i think he went four and one and he he beat mono red but he, his sideboard plan was quite different from aaron's um so i'd recommend watching his videos and looking for the, the proper sideboard plans because it, it can be different on the draw and the play and it's um the matches are go long a lot of people think that you you should try to turn the corner and close the match and start attacking with things because you just sit there with a board and you just mitigate any kind of risk you have to ember cleave until your opponent is either empty-handed or you've gone completely, completely over the top of them, then you start closing the game because you're going to win the long game no matter what happens. So it's well, it's kind of it's close. It's a close matchup, but I think it's definitely favoured. Yeah. How often do you find yourself fetching the fling for the win? Um, sometimes you know I, I had to just kind of remind myself to do the win check. A lot of times, I'd I'd recommend well, playing. Oh yeah, because that's the yeah because i find the flings the easiest like way to just quickly yeah close the game yeah you'd be surprised how many times if you have a love struck beast on the battlefield that you can actually just win the game and a lot of people will miss wins that way because if you have like you know sometimes you can have six eight ten mana on the board or you know even the turn before or something like that you can set up wins like that where you don't have to fling the giant like a lot of people think you just have to fling for like 13 and whatever sometimes you can just okay, fling, fling for five. copy it for 10 you know it's 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 good enough so yeah it's 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 a wish sideboard that tries to answer everything, which you can't always do, but uh, there's a few key cards and a few things that you need to know. Like it's mono red, like most people would maybe search for the, the shadow spears, like the first thing, but like de facto or like 99% of the time, unless something weird has happened, the first time you fail, you need to get something that answers um, the Anax or Embercleave, which is usually return to nature because it answers both of them or you're getting the board wipe, or both, you know, so there's there's things like that, but if you watch him play the deck, you, you'll realize you'll realize what's important and what's not, and the more matches you play, you'll, you'll realize that, but yeah, I enjoyed playing the deck. Sweet, and then uh, I guess we can uh, find out what what format did you play, Sav? Well, uh, yeah, I'm still here, <laughs> for those who've been listening. Uh, I guess the only one left to pick from is modern. So... I, I think of the three of us, I'd probably gravitate towards modern more than anyone else. Like Darren said, standard is his preferred format. He likes playing these very long, grindy mid-range matchups, and I can think of probably nothing worse in the world um, except for just that green-white token season in standard, where where I did enjoy that deck quite a bit. Uh, but that's because it was clearly the best deck in the format. But uh, yeah, modern. I, I'm generally a very, I suppose. A dedicated combo player um yep. or mid-range decks with kind of a combo finish um you know usually tend to favor things like dredge or death shadow um so interestingly before this tournament i actually considered playing amulet titan um, in the modern hmm. sense i think that's what we decided when we first decided that we were going to be the three of us on the team you know i was like cool i've got amulet titan built i've got the dryads i've got the new the new tech you know and then we decided upon inverter and i think very late in the game I think probably about a week or two before the format, uh, before the tournament, Darren had picked up this Teamer Adventures deck and was and was doing really well with it. So we decided to let him go with that in the standard seat. And just to, to highlight the difficulty of this deck, um, and generally I consider myself to be pretty well versed in most of the formats, especially standard at any given time. Um, although I haven't been playing much recently, I generally you know can pop in, 
or drop into a game, see what's going on, and be able to figure out things pretty intuitively just by looking at the board state. But every time during this tournament, when I looked over to my my right or left and I saw Darren playing this deck, there was like I think 50 permanents on the board. He had like a great engine play. There were at least seven creatures on adventures at one particular time. He had like six cards in his hand at any point, and then also his sideboard in the other hand, and his opponents just like looking at him in absolute despair. And then every other time I see him, he's just flinging either beanstalk giants at a person. It's it was insane. So I think the deck. I didn't even was think about like, Yeah, I didn't even think about what that deck must be like to play in person. Like online, no, like it's a lot. Like in person, you need like you need to be Goro. You need like multiple hands. <laughs> to answer the real truth is why why he couldn't look over to Darren was because I was always showing him my hand and asking for his opinion while he was trying to play play his own deck for what uh, what to keep and what not to keep. So well, that's probably why. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So what did you I, land I found on myself, you know, Okay, well, I'll get to that in a sec. But I found myself looking over at Taron, going like, do you need any help, bro? And then see his board state and then just do a complete 180 and go over to help Dave. I'm like, this is going to be far easier. <laughs> his card is you know, a particular thing, and there's obviously usually a clear line, but uh, yeah. Um, I ended up playing, at the last minute, uh, the new Jeskai Underworld Breach Grinding Station deck, which ah. uh, I'm not sure many people are familiar with it. I think it popped up about a week and a half before the tournament, uh, Pascal Maynard was one of the pros that was streaming this particular version of it on his on his Twitch stream. Um, Kiran actually shared a, a screenshot of it or a video of it um, to one of our WhatsApp groups um, about a week and a half before the tournament, and I'd also seen it the same day. But ever since Underworld Breach was printed, people have been trying these absolutely zany decks. I mean, it's completely destroyed Legacy, and it's ultimately been banned <laughs> in that format, which I think is completely correct. Uh, but in modern yeah. as well, people were trying variants with, you know, a Grixis Bulls, with Urza, with Thopter Sword stuff going on as well. But then eventually, I think people settled on the Jeskai build with Teferi's main deck as well. So I don't know if I should just run you through it, but basically it's a artifact combo deck. It basically plays all the cheap artifacts you could possibly imagine. Um, the zero mana ones, so there's a playset of Mishra's Baubles, a couple of Mox Ambers, Engineered Explosives, um, Everflowing Chalices as well. And then on top of that, you've got your Arkham's Astrolabes, which is just, you know, basically Deathrite Shaman. Uh, Kiran's going <laughs> to fight me if I say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it's got a combo of Grinding Station, which is a two-mana artifact. Um, activates to sacrifice an artifact to mill someone for three, often targeting oneself. And uh, in combination with Underworld Breach, which is basically a better copy of Yorgmoth's will, uh, costs two mana, is an enchantment, lets you play cards out of your graveyard with Escape 3. Uh, in addition to the normal cost for the rest of the turn before it has to be sacrificed. So you basically want to set up an Underworld Breach uh, with a Grinding Station play with any zero mana artifact either in play or in your graveyard. And as long as you've got three cards in your graveyard to start off, you can just repeatedly play a zero mana artifact for free out of your graveyard. Essentially turn your entire deck over once you hit either an Emery, which is usually going to be ending up in your graveyard, or if you have a Teferi in play, for instance, you can then start looping a Mox Amber out of your graveyard, which then nets you a blue mana, uh, generally, mm. on every cycle that you're going through yeah. with the Breach and the Grinding Station, and then eventually you cast a Thassa's Oracle from your graveyard with no library, and you win the game. So, uh, consistently putting up turn three kills, um, I think it's an inordinate amount of turn three kills, more than I've had any other modern deck in the format, or any other modern deck in the history of the format, and I've played Dredge when Dredge was very good with Faithless Looting and could consistently put up two and three or four kills, and this is just far and away uh, probably the best modern deck I played and the most consistent modern deck that I played. I remember you and... were on Urza like fairly recently as well, like at Comic Con. Or am I misremembering? Yeah, so, so, no, 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 you're right. So I played Urza, the Grixis Urza deck in the modern uh, portion of that tournament. I think there were three events over the three days. And so did you find this a very an easy one to switch to? Yeah, that pretty experience. easy. I think Astrolabe, Bauble, Emery, Engineered Explosive decks are pretty well in my wheelhouse at this point. And as Kiran especially will know, I've cast a lot of Mishra's Baubles in my time. I used to be a very, very dedicated Death Shadow player, so I'm pretty used to the sequencing and you know general use of that card, um, sort of like second nature at this point. So uh, Amulets, you know, was a decent choice, I think. Um, uh, again, with this new printing of Dryad of the Elysian Grow, uh, in combination with the Valakir, it sort of has this combo fish. It doesn't require you to actually have a Titan. You don't need to attack at any point. It's it's just been supercharged over the last year, especially with Field of the Dead and Once Upon a Time and Castle Garenbrig. It feels like a very different deck to how it felt a year ago when I was playing it quite a lot online. Um, but then Darren gave me a bit of a push the morning of the tournament. He's like, no, just play the Broken Artifact deck. 
you know, mm-hmm. surprise these people that we haven't seen the deck or haven't picked it up. And correctly so, a lot of the people didn't know what I was doing the whole day. I had a lot of readers, you know, picking up Grinding Station, picking up Underworld Breach, uh, oh, wow. reading the cards, see what they do, trying to figure out what was going on, how to attack the combo, how to intercept things. And uh, what I found about the deck is that it's also particularly resilient to graveyard hate and artifact hate, especially with things like Teferi, Time Raveler, main board. Uh, you've mm. got two copies of Cryptic Command I was playing. There's Metallic Rebuke, you know, Muddle the Mixture, which um, functions as a counterspell, you know, sort of to protect the combo, but also can transmute for either Grinding Station or for Underworld Breach. So it's it plays multiple roles. And then out of the sideboard, you've got, you know, uh, looks like just a hodgepodge of Modern's greatest hits, um, but you know, a couple of copies of Psy, some Ether Gusts, Timely Reinforcements, Blood Moons, Tormod Scripts, Mystical mm. Disputes, Hope of Giripos. So there's a lot of counterplay with various other combo decks in the format, and you've got a decent legs against some of the aggressive decks, uh, which I found quite useful because I played against Mono Red Prowess three times in the tournament. Um, and <laughs> I think twice of those occasions I won 2 0, and the other time. Um, I think we went to game three, but I was in a very favorable position in game three. I uh, didn't need to finish the game, uh, luckily, because Darren and Dave had won their respective matches. So, yeah, I found the deck quite a blast to play. It's really fun. Rounds go very quickly because you either win very quickly or die very quickly, um, generally. Mm-hmm. But you can play a bit of a grindy, grindy match. Uh, you've got Cryptics, you've got uh, Mystic Sanctuary, Teferi's, uh, Emery to sort of you know, gain this incremental card advantage, buying back explosives and baubles and so on. So. You can play sort of a mid-range control game and then, you know, all of a sudden surprise people with the combo finish. So basically Dave and I were playing two copies of Splinter Twin uh, on our mm. side of the table. Yeah. And uh, every now and then we look over at people and just wonder, you know, why aren't they turning, turning their deck the over? Deck over. Why, why, you know, huh. I don't understand. Dave playing an inverter of truth deck and me playing this other weird self-mull, you know, Thassa's Oracle deck. So, yeah. yeah, I think we ultimately just had very good deck choices and I'm, I'm obviously pretty happy with our performance and luckily we, we, underworld breach didn't get banned in modern so you know yeah to go I, for the possible future so just just following up on some what uh, Sav said there i think what what also makes inverted x so strong is it's it's not just all about this combo um i had my inverters uh all my inverters stripped from my library three times in the day and i won two of them and the last one was actually the game two of the final and then the other two guys had won already i was already one nil up so I didn't need to finish, but I probably would have won that game because I'd brought in baby baby Jace to to loot to win basically through his ult. So both those other games, I even had a game one I had my inverters uh, stripped from my library, and then I milled my opponent out. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's just a great control deck on top of that. And then you know when the, and but then you also get games where you're like, oh dear, this game doesn't look like it's going well for me. And then you just go like, mm, combo, uh, sorry, can you interact with this? No, okay, I won. So uh, it kind of the two angles of the deck where it can go really long, but it can also just say, mm, sorry, I win. Uh, is quite quite awesome. I mean, other times, you, you know, the game two they side out all their removal spells because you're like, oh, you're not a creature deck, and then you. You don't. You have. You're not even trying to go for the combo. You put a six-six fly on the board, and they kind of look at you, and they're like waiting to break up your combo. And you can just tack you for six, tack you for six, tack you for six. And generally, they've taken a shock or something from there. So it's like three attacks, and they're dead. So, uh, yeah, it's a fan, fantastic deck. So and it, I think, yeah, because it's because it can play multiple. That's kind of what I want to go on. Yeah. In in many a sense, it's it's a better splinter twin, in, in the sense that it's more difficult to interact with the combo, right? Like, Slinitun, yeah. you still can kill the creature. There's, there's yeah. heaps of good, efficient ways to kill the creature. Where well, yeah, it almost doesn't matter if you kill the creature. Okay, cool, Inverter's done its thing. You can't interact with it. And more often than not, the person, your opponent's going to have no cards in uh, in their graveyard. So killing the, the, the Oracle with the, you know, ability on the stack doesn't matter either. So so that's I think that's what makes it really good. And it's, it's quite interesting that essentially you've got a Splinter Twin type deck in in, in Pioneer um, when it's uh, deemed too good for for modern. Um, so yeah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, Sav, I, I uh, we, we we lost your your modern um, uh, discussion there, but it's very interesting that you say that it's consistent turn three kills, which is of course um, I, I guess a, a big sign. Of, uh, that we should look bands out for coming. from that bands are coming and and given your history as the band master um <laughs> it, maybe yeah, I'm, some, the, I'm the herald of bands i guess yeah, yeah, yeah maybe but... some maybe some background as to why you've become this uh 
the soothsayer of doom, <laughs> as it were, for decks in modern. <laughs> I don't know. I like I like powerful things. You know, I don't have a lot of time to play magic. I've got a fairly busy career, you know. So if I pick up a deck, I want it to be able to do its thing as quickly and consistently as possible. But uh, I think since the beginning of 2017, I'd say I think just every band season, I've just been completely gutted. But I think that season in particular, because I was playing blue, white, flash, and also like green, black, mid range, and standard, and then also playing death shadow. And this is back when death shadow was, you know, the zoo version, which was super powered with like Gitaxian probes. Uh, and also playing Dredge with Golgari Grave Troll at the time. And then all in like one week, they, in one ban announcement, they banned Smuggler's Copter, Reflector Mage, Emperor Cool, Gitaxian Probe, and Golgari Grave Troll. I had zero playable decks in like, any format. So I think Legacy was my only refuge. And then I bought a bunch of dual lands. And then, you know, obviously that hasn't worked out very well because I think the market has crashed on those. And also no one plays Legacy anymore. So. Uh, I think further on, you know, things have been banned left, right, and center. I've had, you know, my set of foil Mox Opals, my Okos, my Once Upon a Times have all been taken from me. Um, and it obviously Faithless Looting in Dredge, which is like one of my sort of hallmark decks in modern that's that's been taken. So um, I've sort of hopped around. I've rested on Amulet Titan. Clearly, that's also not safe. Although I think even though Once Upon a Time has been banned, and there's definitely been a considerable hit to the deck's power level and consistency, I think across the board, a number of other modern decks have also been um, hurt quite a lot by the Once Upon a Time banning. All of the uh, banning, all of these devoted druid combo decks, um, things like that Hardened Scales Collector's Company, your Heliod combo yeah. decks, uh, those are all far worse now. The Crab Vine decks, the Gruel Aggro decks, um, you know, they were also playing Once Upon a Times to sort of filter things out and be a, a bit more consistent. So they've lost those things, that consistency as well. Whereas I think Primeval type Amulet decks are still in a much better position overall than they are. So I think it's been hit, certainly, but it's in a favorable position when compared to the others because we still get to play things like Ancient Stirrings. Uh, and I've got my foil Ancient Stirrings ready to go. <laughs> so that's probably the next thing that's possibly going to be banned. It used to be a pillar of the modern format once upon a time. Excuse the pun. Yep. And I'm actually looking at weird ways to try and break that card now. So uh, besides the Amulet Titan decks, it fetches any colorless card, right? So uh, before this tournament, I was also stuffing around with some modern version of an Inverter of Truth deck, which is basically like an Ad Nauseam shell. Uh, but instead of playing actual Ad Nauseam players, things like Angel's Grace, Phyrexian Unlife, with the Inverter of Truth, um, Thassa's Oracle, and Jace, Wielder uh, of Mysteries, like a full playset of each of those cards, but then also plays a playset of Spoils or the Vaults. So you can basically have an Angel's Grace or Phyrexian Unlife in play. Uh, spoils, name a card that's not in your in your library, um, or in, yeah, and basically remove your entire library from the game and then cast a Thassa's Oracle to win, and you could do a similar thing with the Inverter to get rid of your library. Um, but the deck played a lot of fast mana, so it played like Pentad Prisms, Lotus Blooms, and also... Um, talismans of dominance so i want to try and build a deck using that kind of approach but using ancient strings to try and fetch your mana rocks uh, your acceleration but it can also find inverter because it's a colorless card it's got devoid so that's okay. something i have like a deck list drawn up it's probably going to fail horribly um but yeah there's, there's interesting things happening in modern i think but i'm probably going to default to amulet titan and just you know do that as long <laughs> as it's good and i think now we can play you know we've got a few slots in the main deck so we can either play stirrings or we can go the arboreal grazer explore route in addition to all the other enablers so i'm, I'm pretty keen for you that uh yeah i've got options yeah but also i think actually uh scrap all that i'm just gonna play this underworld breach deck until it's banned uh this <laughs> is like high since um so what, like a I'm month keen to try it. yeah uh, i don't know they might be banned next well um she don't know i don't really play in all of the modern challenges or the prelims online just because the timing is a bit awkward given our time zones um, yeah, I don't really have a, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, early into the the next morning to commit to an online tournament, or rather, I just prioritize sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I'm not getting much down there. <laughs> but but is this some um, is no, this Jeskai version really on everyone's radar? I mean, I know obviously some it's known. I don't, I don't mean it's a not a known factor, but it is. Uh, is it really big news? I mean, is it yet, or is it? De a deck that people are gravitating towards because I mean deck can be good but like if it's you know people aren't yeah. picking it up I don't know just from yeah, what I've if it doesn't have the numbers and I think yeah. it's got a similar problem to what the Croc Clan Ironworks deck had where it's extremely powerful and very consistent and leads to, to play. well I think it's better than that in terms of play patterns because the games are over quickly you demonstrate a loop yeah. which is deterministic and you win on turn yeah. three you know the, the 
things are very quick. Whereas yeah. the Crocodile Ironworks deck took a very long time. But I think because of the com- perceived complexity of the deck, a lot of people might not adopt it and therefore uh, might not put up the numbers um, no, to warrant, you know, ban hysteria. And yeah. yeah, just because we aren't seeing many large modern tournaments, uh, I think they've sort of cut down on the number of modern GPs. I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are. Perhaps it's not getting the spotlight that it ultimately should get. Um, but yeah, uh, I've just seen a few pros stream it online, put up some 5-0s, various versions of the deck, either the Jeskai deck, which I think I think is the most popular one at the moment, or uh, considered to be the consensus best build of the deck, just because of the disruption and the sideboard options that you've got. Um, and also, the uh, I forgot to mention earlier, the white splash also helps for uh, the new land from Modern Horizons. Uh, there's a Hall of Heliod's Generosity, I think, which is basically okay. like Volrath Stronghold for enchantments, or Academy Runes for enchantments. So you get to buy back your underworld breaches if they get disrupted or if you mill them over. So, And that requires white mana to activate. So I think the Jeskai is sort of consensus the best build, um, whether or not it's been widely adopted and is you know got a target on its back, I'm not entirely sure. But you know, I think it's the best deck in modern at the moment, just because of the flexibility and durability that it presents. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I feel like we we just got a decent overview of all three formats, like just thanks to this uh, trios tournament. And each of you are pretty good at your formats. Although Dave, you said you picked up Inverter last minute. I mean, I'd never played the deck. I'd literally never, never actually even held cards in my hand or played it online. Oh, but are you it, at it, least it, a control player, like like no, you know, no, I'm, I'm more, yeah, I'm, I've I've played a lot of blue black decks over the last couple of years, so, um, but more so in standard. So, but it was a lot of cards that I've cast in standard over the years. So, thoughtsies and uh, thought seizures and not not really that hard. Cast you know, cast a Narset, draw more cards, you know, cast a Jace draw more cards, you know, let's cast a removal spell or two. It's, yeah, it's uh, not rocket science. The games, I think my play, I think my game times are probably the shortest out of all three of us. So the decks played, it's pretty, I, I don't know. For me, I just felt it was a pretty easy deck to pick up. I think any reasonably experienced Magic player could uh, could pick up the deck and, and play it. Um, just knowing just the combo p- part and, and counting out, there's a little bit of counting on turns and sequencing and such that you've got to get used to those play patterns. But the uh, besides the combo portion, the rest of the deck's very, very, very easy to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah I cool. think just to jump in there, sorry, Bob, um, but Dave was sort of beside himself when we told him he could play, or we, we thought he should play the, the Thoughtseize Fatal Push Dig Through Time deck. Uh, Jay's friend's prodigy, and then I think to this day, Dave probably carries a copy of Scarab God around in his wallet. So the, I think the ability to put that on the sideboard was. We did put know, one in our sideboard. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, he's got photos of his kids, and then there's a, like a, a just the cutout of the the art for the Scarab God sort of in his wallet so on the. Yeah, shows it to all of his friends and stuff. So I think he was pretty stoked about that. Um, so it, it sounds like you guys crushed it, and I mean, I, I, and by the sounds of it, deck choice was a big part of it. You, you guys pro- feel you had the best uh, composition of decks uh, in the room. The, we had the best three decks in the format, by for for sure. Yeah, that's that's probably why. Like other people yeah. played good decks, but I don't think all across all three seats they had what they could argue was the best three decks in the format. You know, they'll maybe close, but not quite enough. You know, so. Well, yeah, yeah, three moderate prowess decks and modern <laughs> definitely isn't playing against the best decks there. Well, yeah. no, uh, moderate's been pretty good recently, and also the, the amount of pressure it puts on you, I mean, it can, it's also pretty fairly okay. killing on turn three. Um, so I could have okay. just well I'd... gotten run over by playing Amulet, you know, but um, so perhaps this is the correct choice, yeah. Uh, I did forget to mention, I did the one match I did lose outright was against a Jund opponent who like just destroyed me 2-0, uh, just stripped all the combo pieces, he had scavenging oozes on the right turns, I mean, you know, my graveyard sort of matters. I know, right? Yeah, I didn't see a single Cruxer though, but old-school Jund, you know, Thoughtseize, Tarmogoyf, Liliana, what are you going to do, you know? Um, <laughs> so that was, that was pretty humbling. I thought I could beat Jund in 2020, but, you know, I couldn't beat Jund. There's Luckily, always... the teammates rose to there's always that guy, right? There's always that junk guy. No matter what year it is, there'll always be junk guy at a tournament. <laughs> that's not. Hey, that's normally me, man. That's normally me when I play. <laughs> okay, but I mean, I think it's yeah, important. Exactly. Sure, Karen. Sorry, sorry. One more thing, just to add to the the mm. our sort of ability to like cut through the opponents during the day. Uh, besides us having the best decks in each format, I think our communication was also on point. Um, 
I think we we know each other fairly well, whereas a lot of the teams might have been sort of cobbled together last minute. You know, you'd see posts on Facebook, you know, like, you know, I'm looking for a standard player or a modern player and so on. Um, and we've played with each other and against each other many times over the years. And we know when to leave each other alone. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, people feel the need to interject. We could see this on the other side of the table as well. People would just throw their two cents in, um, regardless of asking their opponent if they needed any help, you know, which is to some extent helpful. You know, you want your teammates input but also it can be a bit disruptive you know if you've got a particular line of thought you're thinking through a particular sequence of things and someone's just sort of like steamrolling over you and telling you what they think you should do it can be a bit disruptive so i think we've got uh, the right balance uh, of you know when to when to give your opinion when to hold back when to let your your teammate work through things on their own i think we trust each other to that extent as well so that was that was quite nice to see um you know a lot of the times they looked over at me and asked me if i needed help and i was just like no i'm just doing maths and they're like okay fine do your thing, walk away, you know. But uh, yeah, I think that's it's a good skill to to master if you're going to be playing in a lot of these team tournaments. And I think this is going to be a regular thing. Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, people can take I, I, I think I think you you made a really good point, and I think I think from all the formats, and I've played tons of team events over the years. That's the one that you're most likely to draw in, and you see it over and over again. Basically, just what you said, where, where people are too invested in, in in their in their partners' matches and and you know interfere too often, and then they end up not finishing their games in in, in um, sufficient time. So it's it's a massive it's a massive thing to be aware of, and um, yeah, as you say, it's more often than not, it's just leave the person alone unless they. They need your help, you know, um, unless they ask for it. So it's, it's a it's a very good point. But like more importantly, deck selection, right? Deck selection is is a key skill in Magic. It is a, it is a huge skill. It, it's you know um, you can be the best player in the room, but if you you know you playing some some pile, um, more often than not, you're not going to succeed. So um, yeah, I, I guess well done to you guys and um, for figuring it out and and, and getting the right uh, configuration together. I think just on your point there, it's not even even if you're not even playing a pal, like you're playing a very good deck, but you've you've chosen the best deck from a month ago mm. because formats move exceptionally quick nowadays. They just do with the amount of information out there. People adjust yeah. and the meta moves. You know, you can be the best player in the room. You've chosen a really strong deck, but it's just the wrong deck for that weekend, and you end up just getting crushed. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's it's also about picking not just the best deck, but the best deck for right now. You know, is is often the truth in in tournaments not these days. So. All right, yeah. fair enough. Cool. That brings us to our next topic. We do have two doctors in the house, so you guys can tell us: Are we all gonna die from coronavirus? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll start off this this issue so um for the, for this tournament I, I did post a small thing on the facebook group just you know warning people and stuff like that so you're going to see a lot of stuff on the media and depending on which media house you follow some are going to be more sensationalistic and more panic what i will say to you is that whatever kind of media outlet you're getting your information from just be aware of what kind of agenda they're pushing you know a lot of, especially a lot of the the u.s media is mm -hmm. guilty of this because they're quite partisan in terms of their politics and and how they 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 present things so if you watch fox news or if you watch cnn you're going to get completely different stories one's going to blame trump one's going to blame something else and it's it's not really they have an agenda so they're not just pushing out accurate information there so I would say we need to treat coronavirus um, like the flu. Um, it's a little bit more serious than the flu in general, um, just as, as some of the data has come out in terms of the outcomes. But if you're the average magic player between the ages of like, I don't know, 12 and 35 or whatever it is, 40, it's, it's not a major <laughs> problem for you. <laughs> Sorry, Daddy Dave. <laughs> so... The, the data that's coming out from all of the countries is basically showing that um, the mortality rate is very dependent on your age, the same way it would be with flu. So the older you are, the more comorbidities or other medical conditions you have, uh, the more likely you are to have an adverse outcome if you contract the virus. So if you're 25, healthy, keep fit, are not overweight, don't have diabetes and everything else, your chances of you having to even go to hospital if you get coronavirus are next to zero. 
Whereas if you are 89 years old and you have renal failure and you have hypertension or high blood pressure and diabetes, if you get coronavirus, you know, it's, it's not a good thing for you in that situation. So again, it's, it's, it's a virus. It's spread by aerosol, by touch, all these kinds of things. So common hygiene habits are important. And I think especially in the magic community uh, and not mm -hmm. so much a problem now in South Africa, but um, across the world, they've had to cancel a whole bunch of sporting events. They've canceled the NBA um, pending further information. They have canceled Grand Prix. They've canceled the SCG. So in places where they've got uh, significant outbreaks. Um, and I think the, the, the thing to understand is that it, it, you really can't stop it in, in long term. So it's going to spread. People are trying to do the best to contain it and to do that. But, you know, they, they you stop a school for, for two weeks and everyone goes back and you kind of hope that it doesn't pop up again, but it will. So there's going to be these hotspots mm -hmm. that pop up over the next three to six to nine months or a year. And hopefully, eventually, it will quieten down as, as you know, the more people get exposed, the more people become immune, the less transmission goes in the general population. So it is going to be a problem. Um, I, I think, you know, the... The, the real issue around it is, should you panic? And the answer is no, because what does that achieve? It doesn't do anything. So going and, you know, like panic buying toilet paper and water and all these kinds of things, you know, you, you've got to be sensible about these things. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's about being sensible, washing your hands and keeping good hygiene. Um, you've just got to be well informed and, and, and not panic too much. Maybe uh, Sovesh, you can just tell us about, you know, do's and don'ts, because I mean, you, you see, the first thing I saw when coronavirus first broke was was the was at the PT, in, uh, was at Nagoya, is that three quarters of the players were playing with face masks, and you know, I even put in the comments when I was watching it, I was like, people should really educate themselves and know that, you know, these these things are not really helping in a in a big way, and it's it's spreading a lot of you know, wrong information. So maybe, Suvesh, you can tell us about the do's and don'ts, what works, what doesn't work, what's important, what's not important. Sav, give, give us some tips for the Magic playing populace. What's the deal? If we're going to a Magic tournament, what do we need to worry about? Uh, just don't go to a Magic tournament. Just stay at home. It's an apocalypse. You're going to die. Uh, so that's what I've been doing, okay, no, maybe. so I'm good. <laughs> maybe a bit more measured of an approach. Uh, so it's going to be fine. Uh, like Darren said, it's to be treated effectively like a flu. Obviously, it's a bit more severe in that, you know, certain vulnerable populations are at a higher risk. So we should try and limit the spread as much as possible to, you know, even if you get it and you think you're going to be fine because you're a young, healthy individual, you know, you still should practice you know, appropriate hygiene and infection control measures to, to prevent spreading it to others who might be, you know, a bit less fortunate and not able to deal with it as well. Uh, but in terms of a magic point of view, you know, standard things that people should just practice in general at all magic tournaments or in any uh, public space, you know, wash your hands, soap and water, is everything okay? Is Bob dying? No, I'm good. Someone was coughing. Okay, anyway. <laughs> it's the corona. I've angered it's, it and now it's, it's yeah, taken it's, yeah. its victim. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the cost. Uh, it's on the Skype call. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, wash your hands. Like Darren and I were carrying around little bottles of hand sanitizer the other day, which is obviously used for personal use, but, you know, try and advocate that other people maintain proper hygiene. Um, especially from a magic point of view, don't necessarily, you know, reach over, shake your opponent's hands. You know, that could be a bit of a taboo thing to do these days, you know, especially touching people's cards uh, without the permission. I'm not sure how exactly touchy people are <laughs> generally, you know, but I think just be polite, you know, if you want to see a card or read a card before picking it up and just, you know, putting your grubby paws all over it, maybe just ask permission or, you know, may I have a look at this quickly and just, you know, um, I think that would go a long way just to help prevents you know direct contact and like darren said it's it spread i think mostly through droplet spread actually so um coughing sneezing you know try and do it into a bent elbow into one's shoulder try and prevent that from from spreading as far as possible things will settle um fairly close by and not be aerosolized and spread very far and wide so uh, close contact is probably the most important thing to try and limit um, especially with if you are coughing sneezing have a runny nose etc but if that's the case maybe just don't go to the magic tournament you know cut your losses stay at home it's probably for the best in general, you know, you're probably going to feel better if you're sick playing a magic tournament. You're probably not going to play at your optimal level that you might otherwise play at. So, especially for a competitive and also, event. And then regarding you're putting other people at risk, like that's yeah, just exactly, don't yeah. don't go don't go to magic tournaments sick. Just don't do it. Like you're yeah. going to make just like general, 100 other uh, people never, sick. Yeah, before there was like a 
global viral pandemic, you know, it's probably also not a good idea to go, like you said, if you've just yeah. got the flu, you know, just stay at home. Um, and regarding masks, um, the only time you should be wearing a surgical mask, so the plain blue and white, you know, normal mask um, that hangs pretty loosely on your face, is if you are coughing or sneezing yourself to try and limit spread to other people. It's not going to prevent you from getting sick if someone else is coughing or someone else has the virus. And wearing things like what they call the respirators, so the N95, the graded masks um, that fit pretty snugly, those, first of all, need to be fitted properly before they can actually have the desired effect. Most people don't know how to use them properly, so you're going to be fumbling around, touching your face, transmitting things more than you generally would be. And also, you just look like a clown if you like wearing an N95 mask in a public space and you, you know, no one else is sick around you. And, you know, Generally, you've been exposed to the thing already by that point. It's not really going to make much of a difference. And like Darren said, you know, it's going to affect the majority of the world population in the next several months. I think you just have to brace and be ready and be sensible about these things. Obviously, from a work point of view, I'm a bit concerned because of the population that I treat, but that's a different story entirely. I don't want to get into that too much. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But maybe yeah. we can, you know, further to the magic thing, um, I believe a number of the Grand Prix have been cancelled um, over the next few weeks, I think, in America and maybe elsewhere. So. Yeah, uh, I don't so, know too much about that, but maybe yeah. you guys can mention that. I'll so this morning, um, I saw an announcement, uh, or during the day, that the next four Grand Prix have been cancelled. Um, um, that's so that that takes you up to mid-April. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of them. I can't remember all of them, but yeah, some in the US and some in Europe. Um, and then now, while we on this podcast, they've announced that the Players Tour Finals that was meant to happen in April in um, Houston has been cancelled altogether. Um, and then uh, the Players Tours that were meant to happen, um, the, the next round of Players Tours, so Copenhagen, end of April, um, uh, and then the Japanese one and the, the accompanying American one have all been pushed back a month, have been postponed by a month. Um, so those players tours obviously coincide with Grand Prix as well. So effectively, you you have seven seven Grand Prix being um, like pulled from the schedule at this moment um, in time with with the players tour final. So yeah, it's coming. Um, we're obviously, taking people are taking it very seriously, and there's increased risk um, with people traveling from around the world and you know from more high risk areas and infected areas like like Italy. Um, at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's serious when, as Darren said, the sports um, leagues have started taking it seriously. And I don't think I've ever seen um, all these leagues. I think the Erie Division, um, La Liga, um, uh, Serie A, all suspended already uh, from a European point of view, which is just incredible. And, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's more to come. I'm sure more of the major leagues. So I think once football takes it seriously, that you know that there's a, we've got a problem here. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just from a tournament perspective, it looks like um, we might even start getting travel bans put into place. So I know Australia, for example, already has a travel ban for anyone coming back from places like Italy has a few other ones on the list. So if someone like CUS starts putting a travel ban on European countries or, or Asian countries, I mean, then that kind of is really going to shut down the magic scene because uh, you're not going to have any international travellers. Yeah. I think Trump announced yesterday or last night that uh, yeah, the he's, he's banning all travel from Europe except the I, UK. I think he was <laughs> sort of hey, Brexit, something. I, I don't know. Was, I think he was talking about it. Uh, yeah, it was, no, no, it was, it, was confirmed, it was confirmed, Dave. It has been confirmed. Oh, yeah, confirmed you, you're, European travel to the US is banned for a month. Well, well, uh, I just, they, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that, that now that Britain's no longer part of uh, Europe, Europe they, they're, they're exempt from the travel ban. So Brexit, I'm, that I'm was the sure. whole point of Brexit. I mean, not to go into too much detail, but I don't understand how that works. It means they're cancelling all flights between Europe and the US. I mean, that's going to destroy airlines. I, I, or is it you have to sit in quarantine? Or no, uh, you, I don't know. Literally, no There's one's allowed. Flights. No flights. That's all those flights are cancelled. I mean, you do know that there are too many airplanes in the world that you can't park them all on the ground at the same time. So. Uh, they literally have to be in the air because there's not enough space at the airports. But anyway, uh, we're gonna have some interesting okay. times ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite alarming. Yeah. Yeah, that's. But I mean, one of the things that you know we don't necessarily have to worry about is that we can still play magic. Like we're gonna have 
we we're already moving into online spaces when it comes to this game anyway. Like we've been playing arena tournaments. We'd like the seventh EGG tournaments coming up in a little while now. You know, obviously Mitko has been around forever. So like also with, you know, travel concerns in general, you know, with environmental pollution, with lots of different reasons and stuff, there is a potential that, you know, the future isn't going to be us seeing each other you know at gps and not that i've ever seen any of you guys at a gp but you know what i mean like it's it's quite possible that the future isn't going to be us you know play the game see the world but more like chill at home and see your screen how do you guys feel about that yeah i hope you're wrong i'll be be wrong on that bob i think you gotta 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 keep in mind the the all the 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 game stores around the country and uh, around the world and um, yeah that's something i'm worried about yeah, just spare thought for a lot of guys, you know, this is not the kind of industry where you, you know, you're flush. <laughs> it's not the kind of industry you necessarily get into to make a heap of money. Um, and so I, I spare thought for these guys. And, and you know, if people uh, start being cautious and, and stop playing magic tournaments, you know, what happens to them? Um, you know, what happens to, you know, it, it might sound like a strange concept, but there's a lot of judges in Europe and, and yep. in the U.S. Who, 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 you know, these big events, the Grand Prix and so forth. Um, that's a large source of their income, you know, that, that, that helps them out. And with all these events being canceled again, what happens to these guys? So, you know, I, I, it just, there's a, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. And I'm, I'm, you know, hope that people don't overreact, uh, you know, and, 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 and start, you know, staying away from game stores and, um, because that's, that's the lifeblood of the community. And without the game stores, there's, there's no community, unfortunately. Uh, and, and I think that the, the, the paper, you know, paper is magic. Um, as, as nice and, and it is nice to have these other online options, but you know, um, it would be a real shame if, if, if the paper magic takes, tends to suffer. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if, if, if the day comes when I'm no longer able to go to a game store or go to a Grand Prix or some large competitive event locally and play paper magic, I think I might just quit the game altogether. You know, um, I think I enjoy the game and the strategy elements of it. And obviously that translates pretty well to an online game and you can play a lot more than you would be able to in paper. And there's potentially high stakes tournaments as well, both on arena and on, on Modo. But I think the social aspects and the physical aspects of playing the game is probably what drew me into the game in the first place. Uh, just because, you know, I think most of us get into it in a social setting, in school, university, whatever the case may be, uh, because of your friends you know, that are also playing yep. the game. So I think if that aspect is limited, the face-to-face element of the game is taken away to some extent, then, you know, I could just as easily play some other online strategy game or, you know, um, you know it loses some of the appeal and some of the uniqueness that, that Magic has. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you wanted to talk. I don't know if you guys have spoken much about. You said you haven't done a podcast in a while. Um, just try and see what sort of changes in arena are coming. I, I see that they're they're announcing they're bringing cube to to arena, um, which I think is more which is fun. yeah. Um, but I think the first step on that is actually having eight player pods in drafting because uh, in arena, which I, which a lot of you probably know is the one of the, the negative great. side for a lot of us is is eight player, you know, having to draft against bots. So actually having yeah. real humans to draft against might actually, you know, improve the, well, at least for me, the enjoyability of uh, of drafting. It makes for a more real experience. Um, and then, yeah, so I think this is the first step uh, to sort of enhancing arena and making it more enjoyable. Because I, as as Saab said, I've I've have recently, I, I just feel like I can't play that much on arena. There's the kind of robotic element to it of drafting in spots and such, which makes yeah. it lose its appeal quite quickly um, at times. So, and that's why I do like, I've done a couple of um, of uh, Roland Richards uh, cube drafts recently, and he's got very different types of cube drafts. And uh, just that human interaction, the variability of a human live draft is a beats a bot every time. So, yeah. Mm. Well, it's just the talking around the table and yeah, just the general interactions. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. the gathering part of the whole thing. But cool, that's, uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end here, because Darren, you've got to go now, right? Yeah, sorry, <laughs> got to be off. <laughs> no worries, I've been trying to time everything to get the, the, the discussions in. I think we got everything. Uh, Quran, is that everything? Yeah, maybe just, just quickly, um, unfortunately, for a number of reasons, I'm not, reasons I'm not 100% privy to, 
um, the Johannesburg uh, PDQ or WPNQ or whatever it's called, um, that was meant to take place at the Nexus um, uh, in 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 April, I believe. Was it April? Oh, end of March. Sorry, end of March. Uh, end of March. End of, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's been ca- that's not happening, um, unfortunately. So, yeah, um, that's really disappointing. Um, so for players to Copenhagen, um, South Africa will have zero. PTQs and um, it's it's really frustrating to be back in this position where yeah I was we, gonna say we've been there before <laughs> yeah um, so yeah pretty disappointed really disappointed and um, yeah uh, I, again a bit of a loss that, for words that is really disappointing yeah. for now but thankfully we've, we're looking forward there are going to be more WPNQs coming up in South Africa and if they are successful they will continue to be um yeah I'm I know you're very disappointed about this. And I know quite a few other people are, but we got to keep looking forward. Yeah, we do. But again, I, you know, for those of you listening out there, please raise it with your TO, raise it with your local store. Ask them to why aren't they applying for PDQs? You know, they have to do it. it just put pressure on them. Tell them it's something you want. Um, ultimately, uh, players um, stores are there to to satisfy their player base. You know, so uh, if you guys put enough pressure on these stores and make them realize that they're missing out on a huge opportunity. Um, hopefully they'll start doing it. But as you say, Bob, um, I've heard some news that possibly a couple of stores and um, we'll, we'll have uh, PDQs uh, coming up. So, um, but I'd rather wait for them to announce it officially before saying anything. Cool. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that, that brings to us to that the end. Okay. Sorry, sorry, Bob. Can I, can I put one more thing? So it's actually Go maybe not the, the worst thing in the world that we're not getting this WPNQ at the end of March uh, by the look of things, just because, you know, the PTs have been pushed back, you know, a month, maybe even further. Uh, there may also be travel restrictions. So there may be a silver lining to not have to go, or for me to not have to fly to Joburg to play in a tournament uh, for a PT that I might not be able to attend further down the line. So, yeah, you know, there's pros and cons way, but I agree with you. Let's look forward and be optimistic for whatever comes. Cool. So that brings us to the end uh, of this podcast. Thank you very much, gents, uh, for joining each of us. Well, not joining each of us, for each of you joining us. And uh, can you share your social media handles if you want people to find you on the internet? Uh, we'll start with Sav. You can go. What's what, How can people find you? Um, so I think I've got a Facebook page. If you need to get in touch with me, it's my name, Sarvesh Balkarin. Um, but also my Twitter handle is just my name as well, Sarvesh Balkarin. And on Instagram, which I post on very, very seldomly, I think I'm Sarvesh01. But mostly if it's relating to magic content, I'll often follow a lot of the professional players and retweet things on Twitter. So that's probably the easiest place to get hold of me. Cool. David? Uh, I'm a really old boomer, so uh, I don't uh, what I don't I, I don't You're share not... on uh, I don't share on social media. So people I mean, can I send follow... a homing pigeon. Yeah, pretty much. No, no. I mean, I follow I follow people on on Twitter, but I I will never ever post anything. You give or... them your your page number, so this, Dave. This was, so I know you can find me, you can find me on Facebook. Eh? I'm probably a original joiner of Facebook, of course. Um, it's David Boers. Uh, so yeah, you can catch me there if you really need to get hold of me. I doubt that anyone want to, but uh, yeah. Cool, I'll get hold of you, Dave. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if you if you have any like pressing questions or anything like that, you can catch me on uh, Facebook. I don't use it as much. I kind of just really use Facebook for some magic content stuff that I follow. But uh, on Twitter, I'm at uh, Fox zero one zero, capital F. Yep. Cool, and then uh, Quran. How can we yep. find you? Yeah, Kiran C on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. And I am Bobness Monster on Twitter, and I don't want you finding me anywhere else. And uh, yeah, you can follow us at MTG Sharks on Twitter as well. I haven't been using the account lately. I'm not going to lie. I have been taking a bit of a break from Magic, but this podcast has definitely got me amped uh, to get back into things. Although I don't know how much I want to be playing against uh, Team of Clover. So maybe I should just play Team of Clover instead. Cool. That's good. Good, good plan. <laughs> cool. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Thanks boys. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, okay. man. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye.